Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. How are you today, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm absolutely exhausted, and you should know that already because we were both awake at stupid o'clock, stupid o'clock <laughs> uh, last night watching the Avengers, weren't we? It was redonkulously late. Why did time. you go to midnight screening? I went because, like, you know, I got to review it and stuff. Why? Why did you put yourself through that? Uh, I'm a big fan, as I've already noted many a time on the podcast. I was genuinely excited for Avengers: Infinity War, and I heard that there's all these spoilers about the film, and they've kept it all under wraps and I didn't want anyone to spoil it for me and it just so happened that I had not a free day I don't really have free days anymore but I had mm. my own priorities day so I could try and decide <laughs> what I was going to priorities say. day you know what I mean like, I, many books for that type. I, I didn't have as many obligations but I had other things I could do so I rejigged my life to so I could get it cool story bro uh, <laughs> <laughs> well listeners welcome to season 3 episode 11 of Super Betty Bros in Movie Land the movie review show you've come to know and love featuring me Laurie and him Phil uh, one of us is about to become a professional broadcaster did you know that Phil? yeah 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 you're not going to say anything more? Yeah, I, come on, man! Throw me a bone no, here. No, who's who's a professional broadcaster? <laughs> Who could that be? Guess what? After our Easter debut show on BBC Radio Oxford uh, on Easter Monday, brilliantly, BBC Oxford have come and offered uh, me a radio show. So I'm going to be on BBC Radio Oxford on Wednesday evenings. It might be as early as next week if I can manage to get it get there in time, uh, or the week after that. And I'm going to be chatting away. It's not going to be a film show. It's going to be a bit more classic radio with some fun features. And I'm hoping, Phil, you're going to join me for as much as oh, you can. Oh, you remember me now, do you? I, oh, come you, on, man. You, you leave you, me in the dirt. You know, that, <laughs> joke is, that joke is so listeners. unfair. That joke is so unfair. <laughs> I know. And oh. I'm being so mean. Laurie's actually been very kind and yes. flexible. And I appreciate it greatly. I'm so pleased for you, bro. You've worked really hard and I'm glad you got this opportunity. Well, it's all to do with you, so I want you on the show as well. I know. And uh, it just so happens that because of life being so, so busy, I'm mm. not necessarily going to be part of that part. All busy, Phil. But watch this space. Watch this space. Exactly. And uh, Laurie, I hope you do really well. Thank you very much, Phil. You'll be there, so I guess you'll be able to see for yourself <laughs> uh, in glorious Technicolor. What does that even mean? Uh, but listeners, I'd love it if you tuned in next week. I'll try and send some updates on the Twitter feed, but I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Because it's 7 to 9 in the evening, it's going to be quite relaxed and going to take it quite easy. We're going to have some... We're going to try and make you Slow laugh. Jams. Imagine that. Yeah. And hopefully I'll get to choose some of my own music, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So that's some news. Do we have any other news, Phil? We've got a new Patreon sponsor, which oh, is yes. fantastic. So thank you very much to David. Well, I wasn't going to give away his name, but you've done it now because, of course, uh, something I, I almost wish I'd removed <laughs> from the Patreon page was that I said, if you pledge a certain amount, then I will concoct uh, a genuine jingle for you. So, David, you're going to have to listen in to the show to hear your own name being proclaimed terribly uh, next to an 8-bit sort of backing track. So a little treat for boop, you. Boop, boop, David. And, um, yeah, I just want to be clear. It's not that I don't want to do it. It's, it's more like I worry how bad a job I do every time. I think there's some unique charm in it. I think that's kind of our niche, actually. Surprisingly bad, but sort of charming. Surprisingly bad. <laughs> that's the wrong way around. Anyway, listen, we are going to do, as teased earlier on, we're rambling a bit already, Avengers Infinity War. We both went to see it last night. We're going to review that without spoilers here. And we are going to do, well, undecided, either a little spoilers extra or right at the very end of the podcast beyond even the bloopers that come right at the end uh that might be there we kind of need to decide that because what if someone now skips all the way to the end and it's not there 
Um, just wait and see what. Listen to the end and see what happens. Yeah, that's right. That's right, Phil. You're right. And I'm also going to do a review roundup of sorts because I've seen Beast, which is out this week. I got to interview the director, Michael Pierce, for that, and uh, I'm hoping I'm going to be able to play a couple of clips from that interview while I chat about it. But I'm also going to cover films around last week: Guernsey, Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, The Leisure Seeker, and Every Day. Uh, so that's uh, all coming up. Anything else? What we'll be watching is going to return. I'm going to be doing Bright, that Will Smith film. Yes. Much maligned. And then, Laurie, which one are you doing? I'm probably going to do Baywatch again because I'm in a rut right now. Not a rut, it's an enjoyable rut. (laughs) Uh, I am watching films again with my wife that I saw when I had to review them so she couldn't join me. And I kind of, you know, and she's complained about that a bit (laughs) very reasonably. So we're going through ones that I thought would be a hit. Are you able to give Judith's perspective on it as well? Uh, Yeah, when we come to it, I can say what she thought. There you go. All that to look forward to. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. If you'd like to support the show like David did uh, via Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash superbaileybros and for as little as a cup of coffee, you can help us out. We need to say as well about the rewards. We, I think we need to say it here so it's not a feature. Uh, listeners, that is a, an awards thing that we came up with last year to compete with the Oscars, you know, <laughs> corporate set out there, don't even know. Uh, <laughs> our own awards, alternative awards, and that usually comes out at a similar time, but we kind of missed it this year for various reasons. So we're kind of going to rebrand it as a mid-year awards ceremony. So come June, the first week of June or something, we will announce the results of the rewards. So there are categories. A slightly weirder categories, a bit like a great idea that turned out terribly or terrible idea that turned out better than you thought, or there's best hair, I think, isn't there? Best laugh, I think, is still there. Yeah, best uh, in a franchise. Yeah, it's a great, fun categories that our listeners contributed to as well. And we're going to put that up on the website. I am going to try and set up a form to make it really easy. So we'll have the categories there, and you can type in the name of your film, or you can leave it blank if you don't have one. Go scroll right the way down and click Submit, and we'll get all your nominations in. Uh, and then we can announce the results of that in the summer. And it's important to say now, because we're going to come to that, we've had a few emails about the rewards already. So there's all of that. Lots of business isn't it um aren't you gonna do something on trailers phil oh yeah just a little tidbit uh having seen avengers at midnight i had some thoughts on trailers there we go well on with the show yeah, i hope you're enjoying the sunshine listeners what a heat wave eh <laughs> talk about global warming climate change i'm burning up those poor polar bears they've got my sympathy actually that's uh, they actually do so <laughs> it's not a joke <laughs> let's get all. on with it Laurie. Uh-oh. <laughs> Factoids. <laughs> Phil, <laughs> did you know this is now the 19th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I did know. Did you know that it's 10 years since Iron Man came out? I did know that. Let me raise you this. Did you know? <laughs> Currently, the films have taken in, I think, ooh, I'm going to get it wrong now. Hold on. I think I've still got it on my computer. No, you can't use your oh, computer for this. say that. It's 14.8 something billion dollars i worldwide. did know that did you know that there were 64 main characters returning and combining in this film no, no i didn't <laughs> i have i can't remember uh, if that's actually uh, the name uh, did you know that the directors anthony russo and joe russo uh came together uh to help with the captain america series of films and also arrested development and did you know that they were also involved in community ah you can't just slip it, it in other... i actually stole that one from you earlier today <laughs> as know. well there we go. Any other fact, factoids for this section? Uh, did you know that um, uh, Nancy Portman doesn't appear in the film? Spoiler alert. Because she hates Marvel. But she didn't appear in um, Thor Ragnarok Yeah, because she hates Marvel. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not that surprised. <laughs> there we go. Too busy making Annihilation. Have you seen, oh, I should do that for what we've been watching. 
I'll do that instead of Baywatch. <laughs> this is such a professional. We're doing so well. It's late, man. It's late. It is late. This is the you know, as a very rare thing, we're drinking beer as well while we record <laughs> this it. This is a terrible thing. <laughs> All uh, right. Infinity War, Phil. Yes, Infinity War. Directed by the Russo brothers, the guys who did Captain America, Winter Soldier, and also Captain America Civil War. These guys have taken on this massive crossover event. Marvel have been saying it's the biggest crossover ever. And there's all these memes online of people saying, compared to this, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're doing other, other things like that. It's got all the Avengers combining. It's got all of these wider, bigger, broader new characters being introduced. Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Black Panther. They're all coming in. And it's the final culmination of all those MacGuffins that you've been seeing in those previous films. The Infinity Stones. Thanos is here. He's going to unite the the Infinity Stones and he's going to wipe out half of all life in the universe. Here's a trailer. Listen up. The entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. Just like that. Tell me his name again. Thanos. We got one advantage. He's coming to us. We have what Thanos wants, so that's what we'll use. talk about this plan of yours i think it's good except it sucks so let me do the plan and that way it might be really good wow the end is near when i'm done half of humanity will still exist Perfectly balanced. As all things should be. I hope they remember you. I'm Peter, by the way. Doctor Strange. Oh. Using your made-up names, then I am Spider-Man. Sorry, you have been on record. Whenever I've uh, talked about being excited for Avengers: Infinity mm. War, you've thrown scorn my way. It's an enjoyable like thing to do, a, isn't it? It's like a, pantomime. a scorn tree. I'm the pantomime villain who <laughs> who just says, "Nah, mate, it's gonna be rubbish." No, I think genuinely you you despised it because of it, what it represented as this marketing conglomerate. It's a funny thing because. I didn't feel that when I was sitting in the cinema, before it started even, because at the very least, it's all Marvel contained, isn't it? So I think I would be spitting bullets and tearing out my hair if a Star Wars character had appeared in this film. It is not a spoiler to say that there's not one because it would be ridiculous in the death of cinema. Uh, So (laughs) I'm glad that that's not crossing over. I'm fine with this. What I was really surprised by is one of the few films which we actually watched together is Laurie seemed to actually enjoy it quite a lot, a lot yeah. more than I was expecting. I was sort of nervous because when I've watched films with you in the past, I normally pick up very quickly if you don't like a film. You're still the only person I've ever been with who's walked out of a cinema yes. with me in it. That was Deadpool. <laughs> and so I thought, I don't know, I genuinely didn't know if uh, Laurie was going to enjoy it. And yet 
I was pleasantly surprised. You seemed to be kind of involved and invested. Yeah, it and- won me over. It did. And, you know, I, was, I wasn't, I was you know, loving it for maybe the first 10 minutes or so because it has a lot of classic-y Avengers setup stuff to do. Um, and, you know, the opening scene was quite powerful and I was surprised by it. I think it's quite intense. You know, know that right up front if you've got young Marvel fans. I think it's quite a tough watch, actually, in places, especially at the beginning. But I kind of, when they were having a fight between... I can't say anything kind of various characters at the beginning. I kind of thought I've seen this already. I saw it in Civil War. I saw it in other films. But gradually, I realised this is a, a different shape. The film is a different shape. It's a different tone, different style, even than kind of anything else in Marvel so far, in my opinion. And and that's why I liked it, man. I was genuinely surprised how much I felt like this was actually an event. They've been building up as this major film, the culmination of years and years of planning and foreshadowing. And yet, actually, when I was watching it, I bought, I bought into it. It did feel like this is a really big deal. And I was invested. And I was amazed to find myself not feeling bogged down in all the lore that had gone before. Yes. It, it, the, the editing in this film is absolutely impressive. It, undeniably so, because it junks and juggles all these different narrative threads, all these different characters, and yet at the same time, you never feel like you're sort of spending just a moment with someone. You're always feeling like you're spending a good amount of time with them, and then you jump over to see another exciting scene in the other other character's storyline. Oh, totally, and I think a huge credit has to go to the screenwriting, and it's the same guys, it's similar to Russo's, who worked on Captain America, um, so the similar team behind it, and I just thought there was very little bloat there was very little cheese. The humour, for the most part, was quite good and blended mm. well. But the major thing I thought throughout, and I think I said this to you straight away, was I was really surprised how much it feels as though the filmmakers are invested in their story. They seem to have confidence that they are telling a story worth telling. And it, it was funny, it was seeing this film that made me realise that hasn't actually been the case with a lot of Marvel films. You can tell, actually, that they realise they've got quite a weak story because what they're really selling is the character and the tone and the and feel. the brand and everything. Exactly, like the jokes and the formula. They don't really have that much confidence in their own stories, whereas this one really does because it's really telling one and it's not ashamed of the big thing being the Infinity Stones. It doesn't wave it away in a CGI mulch or ray of light. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't do that. It actually has things that have to happen and have to work and have stakes. I was, I was very impressed by that and I, I thought kudos to them, you know show confidence in your work and and it comes across and not only that i think the story is genuinely investing you you feel like you're 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 watching a story which isn't just sort of trying to make cool stuff happen yeah but it is actually telling you something where you don't really know where it's going to go there are surprises there are twists and there's a consequence to each of the events that happen in the story yeah none of it's frivolous that's what i say very free of bloat on the whole i was quite impressed and yet also, each character, I think, does get their moment to shine. No no character except for maybe Black Panther, I thought was slightly underrepresented. But That's true. But he has just had his big film. So. Yeah. In some ways, he's the character which you're, you've, you kind of, have, yeah, like you say, you've already seen him, you know what's going on with him. But all of these other characters, they each have their moment to shine and get to do something interesting and significant to the plot. I don't think there's any character who's sort of sidelined and not important to the outcomes of the film. Yeah, it was really good. And I really felt that is one of the rare instances where a two and a half hour film actually doesn't drag. I mean, oh, you it know, zipped along. I was really surprised. Oh, we talked about Blade Runner 2049. We talked about Isle of Dogs. Both of them, I, you know, I was getting ready to leave. I'd had enough because uh, although I was enjoying it, it just dragged. This doesn't drag. It's really quite impressive. And it they really commit. This is what I mean again about confidence. They give space to the characters all the time. And 
One of the extra little nuances I noticed about that in particular, I think I did say to you, Phil, was about the music. So Alan Silvestri is scoring here, and he's a great composer. He did the Back to the Future score. Uh, he also did Ready Player One, of course. Which I think, you're a big fan of, wouldn't you? Yeah, I did. And I think he's a great choice because he can bridge the gap between modern approaches to scoring. But also, he, he's got great sense of melody and emotional tone. And not just that, when the music turns up, it's good. But not just that, there's a lot of silence. And I really noticed it in an early action sequence. I thought, this is weird. This feels different. And it's because the music doesn't constantly telegraph and emphasise every beat of the action scene. There are quite a few moments where something will be happening in the background and you can hear the SFX, the sound effects, while the characters talk to each other. And there's silence in the score. Very impressive. I thought, again, a bold move. Mm. It's, it's it's very interesting thinking about this film, especially in light of the Justice League, which are, you were a fan of being very pulpy and I wasn't exactly silly a fun. fan, but I didn't hate it. Yeah, it, it was much criticised. That film was bogged down in bad CGI, bad yes. MacGuffins and everything yeah, like that. Yeah. This film, it's got a lot of the similar sort of elements. It's got a completely CGI villain in Thanos, played by Josh Brolin. Did it quite well, didn't it? Yeah, he really did. And what was surprising is the story, like you said, without giving spoilers, it does give you a reason for why he's doing what he's doing he is not just a big purple monster he is a character in the story and he's in some ways the central character it's all about what he's trying to do and why he's trying to do it that's the kind of narrative thread that they commit to and also sort of talking about the rewards you know we had that category for best cgi acting yes you really bought the fact that they, they were interacting with this big, giant, seven-foot-tall purple alien. Was he, he not there, Josh Brolin, wearing mocha? Well, I don't know, but even then, he, the guy is massive. He's sort of yes. Hulk-sized, and yet the, you feel like the characters are actually you buy it, connecting you? with him in yeah. some way. I mean, there's quite a few scenes where you've got somebody who's kind of coming up to his hip, and they're having to look up and crane their neck, and yet you kind of don't even notice it yeah. because it just all fits well. I t- one thing I'll say, just as you say that, CGI and that sort of thing, there's not that many action sequences. There are a few, and they give them, you know, they, they run them for their money, whatever the phrase is, take them out for a ride, <laughs> to impress them for all their worth. I can't think of the, any phrases, Phil. It's gone out of my head. They but, milk it? Yes, thank you, man. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like that anymore. <laughs> uh, but they, they do the best they can, but there's not that many of them. So it might. I think that potentially might disappoint some people. Because often the action is a side note to the story points that are happening and converging around it. I think particularly towards the end, there's a fight with multiple threads crossing over and you don't spend enough time with anyone to really feel their peril. Basically, the most time that happens is one-on-one fights and specifically with Thanos. Do you agree with me there? I think... I do agree. I think you're talking about the stuff which is in the trailer. There's a massive sort of CGI battle with loads of these sort of faceless uh, enemies. I think that's the point where you start seeing the, the the difficulty of having so many characters that you need to show and you need them all to have something to do. Yeah. And that's that's when it starts. That was the one weak point, actually, the action elements when it's not involving Thanos. But the action which involves Thanos, I thought, was really compelling and interesting. And um, they really want to show off yes. the, the abilities and the different ways that they try and tackle so this enemy. I mean, a, bit of, a bit of one-on-one. And do you know something I noticed as well? And If anyone who's seen the Mr. Plinkett reviews of Star Wars, uh, the prequel films, which I do recommend, although they're a bit creepy in places, but they're very, very interesting. He mocks shot reverse shot and A and B cameras a lot. You know, plain things with a sitcom style, he calls it, where you can see, you know, the back third of some, the back of someone's head. You see their ear. That's right. But you see the person who's talking and then they'll flip it around and they'll do the other. Did you notice there was a lot of that? And it's because the film. I thought the film worked hard to create a confrontational, uh, personal note 
throughout. It was actually quite remarkable the extent to which they were able to really put you with a character and how they specifically related to another character as opposed to group dynamics. So I thought there weren't that many group moments. There were a lot of individual moments within groups. I thought that was very clever. and That's more... really interesting. I didn't think about it, but now that you've said it, it does kind of pull it out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's in there. I mean, I have to watch it again. And in fact, I will probably watch it again unusually. I think I want to. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, and that's, that's it. It actually felt the most comic booky to me and actually really felt... It reminded me of the comic books I used to borrow from you and read. <laughs> it was that thing where loads of things are happening at once and characters are having these weird moments and, you know, stuff happens you don't expect. I remember that all from reading those comic books. Yeah. And to be honest, this was the first time I actually felt that way with a, a comic book film because it embeds itself within its own world. Like, it works. I think we're kind of repeating ourselves here, man. I'm looking at the clock. We've been going on for a while. but Well, let me just say two things which I thought were interesting. Number one, I think it's the... It's a major, major blockbuster, and yet I think this is the one of the films that most felt like uh, a TV series, a big kind of sure, finale right. to a TV series. And I think, in some ways, with all the popularity of box sets and Netflix and streaming, it's funny having a major franchise, in a sense, do its own sort of TV show, which has multiple episodes building up and having an arc. And I think this is kind of like the the, the big finale on a Saturday morning cartoon show. Yeah, I loved how bright it was in that comic book vein you were talking about. Lots of the action takes place during the day. It's very easy to digest and watch. And, and it's very colourful. And the settings were really diverse and interesting, which is, I think, so nice and pleasant to watch. That's a good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Like The variety of locations worked. And there was a less of the last Jedi-ish sort of vacant landscapes. And it felt more lived in and inhabited, even the fantastical places. Even Scotland to. makes an appearance. <laughs> it does. The, the Royal Mile. I really enjoyed seeing that. That was great. <laughs> yeah, unexpected. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think... If you haven't been watching the Marvel movies, I wonder how much you'd enjoy watching well, I, it. it I mean, does I, it stand on its own two feet? In some ways, I think you get the main beats of the story, but there's a lot of surprising little references to previous things. It very much rewards fans, and yet I don't think it's fan service. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think, I don't think it is alienating, because I didn't rewatch anything coming up to this film at all, to the point where I kind of forgot that Captain America and Tony Stark are a bit annoyed with each other. You know, mm. But it, the thing is, the film does an excellent job of introducing you to the stuff that matters so i don't think you do need to know to enjoy and follow the story well there you go i'm going to give it i think to my surprise i'm going to give it an a minus i think some of the action uh, could have been a bit better like we've already discussed but overall i was really impressed i had i was genuinely surprised how much fun i had watching the film and how well it kept my attention yeah i'm going to do the same phil i'll give it an a minus because i think within its category it's leaps and bounds ahead of some of its sort of fellows i'll put it that way Hopefully we haven't spoiled anything for you there, except for the fact that Scotland appears. Yep. Uh, if you'd like to email in, if you haven't been watching these Marvel films, all the previous ones building up to this, and you've gone into this blind, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on it. Superbabybros at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at Superbabybros. I guess we both agree, so there's no really plus ones or minus ones, but yeah. we'd like to hear your thoughts on it, especially as it's a big spoilery film. Yeah. Uh, so stay tuned, maybe, for some spoilery chat. Testing, one, two, one, two, check one. Can I get a bit more in the fold back? Yeah, that's good. All right, cool. All right. FYI, Phil, this is a terrible idea. Laris Roundup. Come on and gather round. Laris Roundup. We're not time to review some films. That we had to not very much time to review all these films. So he's the quickest and smartest and brilliantest reviewer in the Laurie's Roundup. I mean, of all the ideas that we've had, 
I'm not going to say that's one of the better ones. I think it's going to sound brilliant. I I didn't get to listen to the music there, listeners. Laurie had his headphones in. I just saw him sort of muddle his way through that. It's so, such a bad idea. We should have at least written something down. <laughs> For goodness sake, why didn't we do that? <sighs> right. Well, I'm glad you find it funny, Phil. That's painful. It's so funny. It's so good when it's right. not me. Yeah. Uh, Laurie, right. review Roundup. Okay, so I have said You're the very best. I've seen a few films, and I'm going to do three fast and one slightly slower because that is current this week. So first up, I want to do... And Phil, I'm looking for your input on some of these. Okay. The Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which is an adaptation of a novel that was written by oh, Marianne Schaefer, I think, and completed by her niece, Annie Barrows, who sadly, uh, she died before she could complete it. And I believe it's a nuanced book, an interesting one that's quite powerful and has meant a lot to a lot of people. Oh, right. Okay. It's epistolary, which means it's in the format of letters between two people. And those two people are Juliet Taylor, an author in uh, World War II Britain, and Dorsey Adams, who's a, I think, a pig and potato farmer uh, out in the island of Guernsey. And Guernsey was occupied by the Germans and they outlawed lots of different things at the time. And uh, Dorsey Adams was part of a group of other people who met up to defy this in secret. When they got caught, they pretended they're part of this weird society they just made up on the spot and so the germans were like well we're gonna have to check that it's legitimate so they send someone to come and see the society and for that reason they have to actually come up with one and they have to start reading books and being a literary society and eating potato peel pie because you know potatoes is all they get they have to give all their other stuff to the germans uh juliet taylor meanwhile uh, writes well under a pen name izzy bickers staff i think is the name but she doesn't have much fame and notoriety for herself she has money but not you know and as a woman she's not getting published in the right way so when she starts getting these letters she's intrigued um and Dorsey Adams comes across a book of hers that she likes that had an inscription in it so he wants to know about her and because of their odd story she thinks well I could go and cover these guys for the paper and the paper's interested there we go that's a setup for this and the film takes all this and turns it into a Lily James starring film Lily James I thought it was yeah. that girl from Their Finest I thought this was like the very similar to Gemma Arterton and there's something a bit weird going on here there's a there's a feel like a, a bit of a conveyor belt yeah of slightly sentimental wartime era films being made not about the war but about like the home front oh, exactly and Mike Newell uh, directs it he's Four Weddings and a Funeral he did Harry Potter and The Goblet of Fire I quite rate him as a director actually and I think he's done a good job with this I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute but there's absolutely no bones about it being quite sentimental the deal is once she gets there there's more to this society than meets the eye uh, especially uh, the founder Elizabeth McKenna I think she's called uh, is absent and no one can quite explain why she seems to have gone missing and so there's a mystery element as she unravels it and gets to know each of the members of the group now I fairly enjoyed it and I enjoyed it more than I expected to because it's so whimsical and that title put me off that is the worst title I think I've heard all but year. But the thing is, what it does is there, I think undoubtedly there will be people who will hear that and think, oh, that sounds really quirky and fun, like me. You know, that kind of thing. Sorry, that sounds dismissive. I don't mean it that <laughs> way. But I think actually that will make some people think, yes, please, I'll have that. And others think, no, thank you. Which I think explains the success of the book. And I think it will mean that those who go and see it will probably really enjoy it because it sells the tone of the film. Mm. And it is very whimsical. It's not actually shot on Guernsey, so don't go thinking the beautiful places that they're in or anything like it. I think it's Surrey or something like that, a posh part of England, because it's too expensive to shoot in Guernsey because all the tax laws uh-huh. and stuff like that. It's a bit of a shame. Um, it quickly, it, yeah, so there's a mystery thing and quickly it becomes a romantic thing and a, a case of a woman finding herself. I thought there was a bit of the slightly patronising thing of the urban, you know, successful woman uh-huh. going out to where people live real lives. Is it a nature. bit helpish? 
the Halpish. Oh, uh, no, no, nothing like that. But more sort of, I think, the, the city dweller's fantasy of rural life, which I also find ever so slightly patronising because, you know, out there, these people who uh, look after pigs for a living, they actually think and <laughs> they actually are real people and <laughs> oh, they actually are sensitive. And, and the guy they've picked for it is Michel Huisman. And do you know who that is, Phil? Uh, no, name doesn't ring a bell yes, at all. Yes, you do. Dario Naharis in oh, Game of yeah. Thrones. And, oh, yeah. Uh, the guy out of Nashville, if you watch that TV show. Was he in uh, Age of Adeline? That, uh, yeah, Blake Lively film. That's right. And he's an interesting presence because I think he kind of deserves to be a star. But basically, the roles that he's had, he might the first line in all of his films might as well be, Hi, I'm Michelle Huisman. I'm a love interest. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so obvious. That's why you hire this guy. And you know, he's I said, so bladly attractive. He just, he just is that guy. And he can wear, like, knitted jumpers with holes in them. And you think, man. It's a bit like... I uh, wish they like that on me. But look, James Marsden, you know the guy? Yes. He always plays the, the love interest who's perfect, but the guy, the girl doesn't not end up with her. In yeah, it's like, well, oh, don't <laughs> like right. you. That's, he's that's his, He's got that down to T and this Dario Naharis guy seems to got the... Same uh, with Cyclops. That's actually who he is even as an X-Man. He gets that just role. Nails it. Uh, the other thing is with Love, Simon. You know, I said Nick Robinson had the second perfect side parting I'd seen that week. Uh, Michelle Huisman's is the second. Good to know. Thank oh, yeah, you for keeping me up to date on side You're side very welcome. Watch. So look, listeners, I think you, you should know exactly what you're getting yourself in for. There's emotional depth, but it doesn't probe very deep. I just think it's nice. And is there is, anything which is surprising? Well, Mike Newell's direction I thought was surprising because I think he gives the film more quality than it really deserves like the level that the shots composition and the way that the lighting works and the characters exist within a frame is just top draw stuff i think it's the sort of thing you won't necessarily be able to put your finger on it but you just think wow this is shot really well for a film that's very kind of pedestrian yeah it's just it it's really creative and there are a lot of interesting shots and the village in particular is shot really beautifully there's nice soft focus lily james looks great i'm worried about her getting typecast but she's fine in this film she just plays a bit of an english rose or whatever a bit too often do you a bit know what I mean? too fragile but nice he's something like that and i think she's talented i want to see her do more things so for me it gets a straight down b i enjoyed it more than i thought i would but it's not very adventurous next one then i feel like we need something to break it up maybe i should be playing trailers what's next <laughs> uh let's do the leisure seeker do this one quickly helen mirren and donald sutherland play an old married couple and he was a literary professor but he's now in the later stages of alzheimer's which is proving very difficult for helen mirren his wife and his kids one day the kids turn up to the house to help look after them and they can't find their mum or their dad and more than that they, the garage is empty because their winnebago the leisure seeker has gone missing and it turns out helen mirren uh, has kind of decided they're going to go on a road trip and defy all the challenges that come with that, given the state of their health. Donald Sutherland is driving, which seems like a bad idea, because in every scene, he forgets who he is, where he is, what time he's living in, all that kind of stuff. He doesn't recognise his wife. And kind of with that odd setting, they experience all the classic road trip bumps in the journey. So mm -hmm. people getting left behind at various points, people getting lost on campsites, sitting doing emotional slideshows where they try and remember things from the past. And this is all an attempt to get down to Hemingway's house, which was somewhere that Donald Sutherland had always wanted to go. And there's a kind of tantalising hint that, or maybe this is a final trip of some sort, but it's not really given away. Um, certainly not until you keep watching the film. I thought the performances are very strong and they are amazing actors, aren't they? Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland. And they commit 100%. She does this Southern American accent, which is passable at the very least, but it's much more to do with uh, her sort of grit and presence. That's why it works. And so she has to do a lot of 
unflattering things to look after Donald Sutherland because he can't really control himself anymore. She gets really furious with him. She discovers things about him she didn't know because of his Alzheimer's. And the interesting thing was, I for a while I thought this is very clever because it's very repetitive. And in a way where you start to feel frustrated, but it's very your, clever. because Well, yeah, exactly. And uh, it was interesting when I, I did this on the BBC, the presenter said back to me, that is, anyone who lives with someone with Alzheimer's will tell you that is a really big feature, like the repetitiveness of it. You just have to say the same things again. And the fact that they keep forgetting things, it's just really hard to deal with. And what was odd is that there were moments that were clearly funny, but there were moments where you could laugh that actually you thought, actually, no, is that, that's not actually funny. Is that funny. funny or is that deeply exactly. sad? Sort of and thing. it kept this really uneasy balance for a really long time. And I was very impressed by that because I thought, wow, it's making me think a lot about what this means uh, for someone and what on earth it could possibly be like to, mm. to help someone and care for them and love them through a period of their life like this. Then, right at the end, it kind of ruins it all by making some very definitive statements that I thought were very out of place, potentially inappropriate and patronising, and basically soured the whole the rest of the film for me. Does it make some sort of, I don't want to spoil the movie, but I'm guessing, is it a bit like me before you? In I'm not going to say anything else. I okay. will say it makes some definitive statements I thought weren't very helpful. And they made me question whether I was right to think that was a nuanced take from the director to keep that uneasy balance or whether it's kind of accidental. So interesting story. I think it is emotionally tough and probably a bit weepy in places. And I'm just curious to know what other people think of it, really. So for me, that one will get a B minus, I think. Superbadybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Superbadybros. Laurie, yeehaw, on to roundup well, three. Can we take a pause or something? Or do you want me to keep going? Well, this is the, it's your roundup. Oh, You've got I'm the jingle. Like, I'll put, <laughs> maybe I can play like lasso sounds in between. <laughs> we'll keep it kind of uh, Western themed. So here's the scene. Laurie and I, we get to the cinema. It's officially midnight now. We've uh, waited, and I remember sort of twiddling my thumbs waiting for the big big reveal of Avengers Infinity War to happen. We get to the cinema, we get to our seats. At the, midnight. Yeah, and uh, the, the lights are already down, and uh, we sort of sit there, and like, there's a car advert, and we're thinking, oh, okay, here we go. Whew. So, and it was like the weirdest car advert ever. It was Ploma Faith advertising a car. Or That's something. right. Well, but then there were two other car adverts. One I for think a there was, Jaguar, there was a, a smug woman. Oh, that made me so angry. Like the traffic warden was going to give her a ticket. But instead, she was like, Look how amazing my car is. Would you like a selfie with it? She didn't say it with words, just oh. with looks. And he was like, All right then. And they let her off a ticket because her car's so amazing. I hate it. <laughs> but that's all by the by because then there was another two car adverts and some other ridiculous bank advert or something like that. Because at midnight, you really want to know which banking you should be doing. <laughs> but so regardless, dumb. then we had trailers. Now, I love trailers. I'm a big fan of trailers. I've been on the record on the podcast as being. Being a super fan, I like going to the cinema and watching the trailers. It's always it's like, the ex- uh, exciting bit. That's what the Odeon guy is. And yet says. now, yeah. oh my goodness, now, I, I, I honestly hate that half an hour before uh, a screening starts. It just feels like a waste of time. Like they've taken something precious and corporatized it and made it so unexciting and boring and tedious. But then, by the by... The, the trailers that we saw, I, I, I couldn't believe it that this was the calibre of films that was coming up. I genuinely thought, this is, this is dreadful. And I felt like, what's happened to me? Have I, have I gone to the dark side? Have I lost my optimism? <laughs> Am I deeply sort of jaded? Am I like sort of a, a vet uh, who'd just seen too many battles and I couldn't take it anymore? Yeah, okay. And then the flipping trailer that we watched was Jurassic World Lost Kingdom. Yes. And I, I remember turning to you and I said, I, I think I've seen this film before. Oh, yeah, it's The Lost World. Yeah. It's literally the same plot. I couldn't get my head around it. 
It's like a relaunch of the franchise, which is kind of a continuation of the franchise. And yet the second movie in their relaunch is the same as the second movie of the original thing. It's exactly the same sort of idea. We're going to go back to the abandoned theme park. We're going to pick up some dinosaurs. Oh, no, we're going to have trouble in the city with the dinosaurs. And I just thought, am I, t- am I taking crazy pills? <laughs> What is happening, man? Jurassic World in particular, I do think it's a tough thing because where do you go with that franchise? Dinosaurs in a human place, dinosaurs in a dinosaur place, and hybrid dinosaurs. (laughs) And in the new Jurassic World trailer, they've just done done exactly this. It's Fallen Kingdom. And there's a hybrid dinosaur again. I thought that was the whole point. That was the point of the last one. It's like, like, I just, I have to admit, I thought, wow, that that is a creatively dead franchise right there. And it's movie two of the relaunch. We had the the pleasure of seeing Bryce Dallas Howard and uh, Chris Pratt introduce the trailer. That was a poor choice. And oh my goodness, I, I have never seen two actors struggling to act so much they look like they hate they- each other and they hate the film and they hate what they're doing they hate you <laughs> their soul was dying inside it looked terrible didn't it that was really i couldn't bad. believe it and i thought what on earth and then this is the final nail in the coffin and where i'm probably going to wrap it up because i don't want to go too long but the incredibles 2 at trailer oh, started yes. i was super excited for the incredibles i think the incredibles is one of the best superhero movies it's ever really good and then i saw where they're taking the plot for incredibles 2 and it's just like okay let's just do the first incredible story but flip it around so he stays at home with the children and and she goes off and does the superhero stuff. I think it's stuff. more than that. They, they've resorted to cliches. They've resorted to, oh, dad finds it hard to look after kids. I thought we were kind of past all that. It sounds so thin of a story and there's so many different things you could do with that franchise and I just thought yeah, Again, creatively dead. Kind of bright. But having said that, that was a bright spot in there. I, I like the Mission Impossible trailer. Yeah, that looked pretty good. It's because they're doing real stunts. You can't fake that, mate. Oh, you can fake it. That's what they do. That's the industry. <laughs> but I mean, you can't you fake get... Tom Cruise breaking his ankle. Well, you get the visceral thrill every time you see it. Like, that's one of the things that films have always been about is death defying amazing things happening on screen as opposed to the inversion of tropes. I or, just, uh, I just yeah. think I, I feel for film fans coming up because their expectations of films these days must be so like low levels, low tier. That like young film fans, like the guys where I was when I was like watching like The Lion King and yeah. hearing about The Matrix and these amazing new big blockbusters that like were one and done's, and now it's just sequel after sequel. And yet the sequels themselves aren't even sequels; they're just remakings of the original films yeah. and rehashings. And I think I, I I kind of defended the whole sequel thing. But rehashings in sequels, it, that I feel kind of, I'm despairing a little well, bit. the proof will be in the pudding because Jurassic World was fun enough. I wonder what they've got, whether they can handle it again. Uh, I, so you've taken this in a slightly different direction than I imagine. We've kind of gone down the old man routes. Films were better in my day. But no, and, but, but, now, but instead of, I thought you were going to say like how ridiculous it is, a midnight screening to make you sit through half an hour of adverts. <laughs> I mean, that maybe that is what I was really reacting to. Maybe that's more... The, the bad choices of the That's cinema so dumb like you could, if you were the brand uh, you know master or ambassador what's the word I'm looking for the brand man the marketing well, guy well yeah I used to work in that field <laughs> like who said oh that's the spot we want do you not realise that's like scientifically calculated to make them hate you <laughs> Like you're talking to Avengers fans who you just literally want to watch the movie. Work week. You want to watch Avengers and you're making them say, Why do you think we can afford Jaguars? Are you kidding? Oh, I can't even think about it. Right, let's move on. Anyway, yeah, sorry. 
What's the next one? Every day. All right. So I meant to say the Ledger Seeker was an adaptation of a novel. So is Every Day, as it turns out. A youth novel, isn't it? Exactly. And part of a series of youth novels where there have been sequels and prequels. And I think you decide whether you're going to watch this one based almost entirely on the premise. Do you know the premise, Phil? I I saw the trailer for this before Love, Simon, and I thought... Oh gosh, what is this? Yeah. And yet at the same time, I was slightly intrigued because it's an interesting idea. Basically, there's this girl and she meets somebody who uh, appears to be kind of body hopping between a different person every single day. And so she's, she, over the course of her time, she gets to know this sort of spirit that's inhabiting these different people day by day. And she starts falling in love with them, but they keep on being a different person. So every single day, she kind of, there's this person who she feels like who who knows her but she's completely confronted with somebody who's a different gender different race size height weight like everything is different about them and each time it's kind of like is this the person who's i know can you basically can you know someone if they're they aren't them all the time well amazing that that's in the trailer because that that's it yeah that is the that's all that's in the film and is it an alien is it consciousness they never really explore that and if I had my way, that's what we'd spend time thinking about. Really interesting concept, almost sci- sci-fi in its trappings. It doesn't do that. Instead, it goes hard down the romance route. And whilst I think there are some interesting things in there... There's an because... interesting bit of the trailer where she's just kissing loads of different people. Well, right, and that's the whole point. But what's clever about that is it's a really interesting way, and I don't actually know whether this was what the author intended. I don't know, but I kind of think, how can he not? to uh, talk about uh, gender dysphoria and LGBT stuff as a teenager. And because it, it is, you know, it, can she fall in love with someone completely regardless of their attractiveness, their gender, uh, their race, their not their age. They're always the same age. That, one, that one's important to get, to get right because it's a high school. Oh, school. yeah, yeah, that, that important. is important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All but, age appropriate. Exactly, exactly. But they, they do, it's a clever way to explore that and ask, you know, about the question, the, relation, the nature of human relationships, especially romantic ones. I just don't think it's done very well. I don't think it's that interesting. I think Angry Rice, uh, who plays this girl, Rhiannon, does a brilliant job because you do believe she's interacting with the same person every time despite the fact that she's dealing with different actors. So I rate her performance. I just think the story doesn't, doesn't allow you to really have any interest in the situation. It will only allow you to ask questions about the romance. And I thought the resolution was particularly badly handled. I think in some ways that it, that doesn't surprise me that it's a youth adult novel. Yeah, And that's sure. where it comes from because in, it sounds like the premise is everything and there's not much actually really behind it. Because no. in some ways it's the movie of I fall in love with people, not... Like yeah, it is that, and that. I, but I like I think it's clever, and I think it's interesting. I, I kind of think it's worth a watch, but it it didn't. It, I didn't think much of it. Here's and the question: Is there a resolution of any sort? Yeah, and I didn't like it. I didn't think it was really very appropriate in many ways, and I thought it was just it was too lightly handled, given how long they spend the rest of the film doing everything else. And the one thing they didn't do at all, and it's not that I particularly wanted to see this, but I kind of they hint at it. Then I don't go there. But there's potential here for real darkness. And actually, that's really important as well, because this person lived just for one day in the body of a child their own age or a person their own age. And the whole point is you have no idea what people's home life is like. But as far and as you so can you tell... so you could spend a day in a, yeah, pers- in a child who's having a miserable time. A terrible time. But as far as you can tell, this person's just really well adjusted and hasn't affected them at all. In fact, they're wittier and funnier than anyone else. And you just think, well, okay. 
but you don't see any of the darkness or turmoil. Anyway, look, like I said, basically it's the premise that you'll like or not. It's directed like a very trend. It's sort of perks of being a wallflower direction style. So mm-hmm. kind of indie vibe and quite sort of shaky cam stylish. So that one actually for me gets a C plus because I think the promise was much stronger than, uh, than what's actually delivered. Yeah, there you go, Laurie. You got through your roundup. You said you were going to take a little bit longer on the last one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, not too much longer, but I will. Just so I got interviews with uh, Michael Pierce, who is the director of Beast. He grew up in Jersey, the director, and in his lifetime, he was aware of a real case uh, that became known as a guy called the Beast of Jersey, who for 10 years evaded capture and did terrible things, abused girls and killed people, like awful, like a serial. And in Jersey, this tiny island, that's How's horrific. that even possible? Well, exactly. And he said, you know, for him, Jersey was not exactly idyllic, but kind of very pleasant, very friendly, very small. And then this was going on and you never, you couldn't tell. And the idea was no one knew this was happening for 10 years. Like this guy got, got away with it. And he said that kind of fascinated him about the difference between our perception of people versus the reality of darkness within them or just how we are not prepared to see that side of people sometimes. We sort of ignore it. Even if it's right there in front of you. And so he's written a story in which Moll, who's played by Jesse Buckley, who was in War and Peace, uh, very good, uh, rising British talent, uh, meets a guy called Pascal, who's played by Johnny Flynn, also a rising British talent, more from theatre than TV at this point. And he's a rough kind of guy. He lives out, works with his hands, hunts game, and he's very much not part of acceptable society. Unlike her, who has quite a wealthy but very kind of strict family, who are quite restrictive, in fact. Mm-hmm. So she sees him as a bit of an escape and is intrigued by him, falls for him. But then there are these murders going on and these girls getting killed. And the police seem to think that Pascal might be the guy because of incidents in his past. She's sort of horrified by this, but doesn't believe it and trusts him. And the film is asking the question all the way through, you know, what what is the right perspective here? Are we getting lost? Is she a bit of a beast? Is he the beast? Is there another, you know, all that kind of question. And uh, Michael Pierce has said... Well, in fact, I can play a clip here. So I asked him about genre because I thought when I watched it, it doesn't really stick to any one genre. It kind of bounces around tones and you never quite know what kind of film you're watching because there's a bit of art house expression and a very slow pace throughout. And this is what he had to say about that. For me, it was really a journey about re-engaging with genre. I kind of see it as like a, a guitar amp. You know, you can still write, try and write a very beautiful and delicate and intimate song. And then genre is like, you know, you get to plug your guitar into the amp and you just get to play that same song with more propulsion and more amplification. Like if I give it a genre label, it, it always feels a tiny bit reductive, like calling it a psychological thriller or it's such a broad label it you know it doesn't really have any specificity so as through the writing i realized that it had a lot of resonances with fairy tales you know it's about a young seemingly innocent young woman trapped within quite a dysfunctional family setting and she ventures into the woods and meets a character that might be prince charming or might be the big bad wolf and i thought as long as you keep rooted with the character you can flip between genres you know you, it can be a psychological thriller it's also a kind of yeah i want it to be an enchanting love story it's also an intense family melodrama and the the way it felt like the way for me to keep anchored through all of those shifts is if I keep really close to the character my general policy with characters are that if you can't empathize with them even if they're kind of villainous then uh, you probably haven't you know you haven't looked hard enough because there's always going to be a side you know even to a psychopath at the very least they're probably 
incredibly charismatic, you know. And equally, if you if you can't find the flaws of your characters, you haven't looked deep enough. Yeah, there you go. So interesting guy. I really enjoyed speaking to him. And this is his debut feature. He's done short films. It's his debut feature that he wrote and directed. And I think he's being really invested in as a British talent. And I think deservedly so. I'll be really intrigued to see what he does next. Because I don't know that the film entirely worked for me. I thought the premise was really strong and interesting. I thought the performances were great. I think he showed an incredible variety of ways to shoot and kind of directorial intent that was impressive. But on the whole, I found it disassociative, if I can call it that, because I didn't ever feel kind of for that same reason I said with genres. Like it's, it's one thing to play with genres and say, let's move between them and explore. But you need to, at the end the person, the audience needs to think that's what's happened. And also that was worth, that's worth thinking about and exploring. Mm. Otherwise you can leave thinking, oh, that didn't connect with me because it just didn't, it's an expert, it's an experiment rather than a piece. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I thought it ran, I think it actually towed the line correctly because I did leave asking a lot of questions. I think revelations come slowly and in an interesting way. But on the whole, I just thought, I wish this was edited better or tighter. I wish the scenes were much shorter. I wish that had been cut. I wish there was more pace here so that I felt like I was building up to something. Whereas it's so quiet and so long and so reflective. Actually, it was at risk of losing me uh, rather than sucking me in further. And do you think that is a problem with the fact that it doesn't know exactly what genre it's in? Well, no, because he said in that clip that was his goal, wasn't it, to experiment? I know, but do you think that's kind of where the fault lies? Well, that's why I think audiences might struggle to connect with it, because I think you have to walk that tightrope between the audience thinking, wow, I'm really curious about this because it doesn't fit my expectations, or wow, this doesn't work for me because I don't really get it. I don't really understand how I'm supposed to feel. Right. Uh, but the themes are interesting. I asked him. I asked him a few other questions as well. We don't have, don't have time to play, but uh, he said he wasn't intending to chime in with a lot of socially relevant things about what, you know the relationship between men and women and, and power dynamics, exactly that kind of thing, or the Weinstein thing. He said some people are chatting about, uh, or the fact that serial killers are suddenly seeing a resurgence in pop culture with things like serial and uh, all killer no filler. Have you come across that uh, making a murder, all that kind of stuff? There's a renewed interest in these kind of these kind of things. That was an accident. He also said he was excited about going in the ring with the Avengers because <laughs> it's counter-programming. So yeah. some people who won't do the blockbuster might go see a quiet film instead. Uh, but for me, I'd probably give it a, a B- minus because I don't know that I enjoyed it that much, but I was still impressed by it and I look forward to seeing what he does next. Okay, there you go. And that was Beast. Beast, yeah. Superbadebros at gmail.com or uh, tweet us at Superbadebros if you've seen any of those films which Laurie rounded up into the pen uh, and you've got your own thoughts I'm sure Laurie would love to hear them and if you agree or disagree get in your plus ones or minus ones yeah and I probably will split that into two because uh, I felt like that went on a long time what are you going to shove in the middle what's going to be the middle of the sandwich the thing we're going to record next <laughs> <laughs> That's right, that jingle means it's what we've been watching time. Two uh, films that are either old on DVD, TV, or, you know, maybe on streaming services, eh? Yeah? Like our two films this week. Correctamundo. Wow. I don't think I've ever said that. <laughs> uh, Phil, what's your film? Bright. Why is there a fairy in the bird feeder again? Good afternoon, officer. Fairy lives don't matter today. That's it right there. Now take the little homie out LAPD style like you do. Oh, and uh, you keep doing all your gangster stuff. I'm just trying to sell my house. Don't worry about that. 
Everybody's just trying to get along and have a good life. All of the races are different. Just because they're different doesn't mean anybody's better or worse than anybody. Hey, uh, where's the diversity hire? I got a dude in my car. I didn't ask for it, but the whole world is watching. Boy, it's okay you don't like me. Man, I'm not out here to be your friend. I need to know that you got my back. Can't hide it, Ward. Humans have physical tells. Like the face. What's my face? The human who needs a lot more conjugal love to have face. Do not wink at me like that. All Westlake units requesting assistance. Three Adam Nine, show us en route. Shouldn't we wait for the cavalry? We are the cavalry. What is that? Shorter. You want ten million dollars? You're not stealing that one. You gotta get out of this neighborhood. They're gonna kill you, then me. The magic one. We have to secure it. I'm already knowing they nobody got my back. They don't teach that at the academy. No, they do not. Gonna keep coming. I am not afraid, I am not afraid. Just do it. We might be in a prophecy. We're not in a prophecy. We're in a stolen Toyota Corolla. I'm gonna be honest with you, that was not what I expected. I've not really seen much of this film, haven't watched it, haven't really kept on top of it. To be honest, it looks alright to me, except for the elf lady who looks like a reductive trope to me. Well, it's an interesting, odd mix of lots of things. And when it first came out on Netflix, there was a lot of criticism of it. And yet it wouldn't surprise me if the streamings of it as a film have been very successful for Netflix. Stars Will Smith, stars Joel Edgerton. And uh, it's written by Max Landis, the guy who did Chronicle. Oh, yeah. He's a bit controversial at the moment because of the Me Too stuff going on. Oh, really? Yeah, there was an accusation. Um... It's directed by David Ayer, Ayer, who's the guy behind uh, Suicide Squad and also End right. of Watch. Okay. Do you know that film, End of Watch? Is that the one with uh, Moss out of the IT crowd? No, 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 no. That's uh, Neighbourhood well, that's Watch. that's The Watch. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, this is uh, End of Watch. stars Jake Gyllenhaal and it also stars, I forget the actor's name, Michael Pen- Penner, I think. Pena. Pena. And they're two cops and it was kind of filmed in a very sort of realistic, gritty style. Uh, two beat cops driving around in a car chatting and uh, kind of dealing with crime in downtown LA. It's, uh, the reason why I mention that is because then you've got Bright, which is Will Smith and Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton is an orc who basically is synonymous with uh, minority groups in America. Okay. They've sort of transposed racial stereotypes and put them onto uh, different species. That so, sounds like quite a bad idea. Yeah. So the elves are sort of living the high life and orcs are the sort of white trash or the stereotype of Latin American black people in really? America. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so orcs are mistrusted and... Uh, 
Joel Edgerton plays basically the one of the first orcs to join the police force, and he's partnered with Will Smith. And there's a, like a whole backstory about a time when whether or not he put his orc kind over his partner and all this sort of stuff. Basically, it's it's a weird mishmash of films because you've got this high concept idea of uh, elves and orcs and fairies and things like that being real and it being something which is not a, a an olden day type thing, but as if the world has carried on progressing to the modern times, but with these guys having always been there, um, but also combine it with a very realistic, gritty kind of cop drama style. And they really do not blend. They don't. Not at all. And I feel like there's some ideas in there which they could have delivered well, but it kind of just becomes silly. It's like mixing milk with Ribena. And it's just like, Ugh, just don't do that. It's a horrible combination. They're Individually, they're kind of, they work and make sense, but they just don't go together. And if they committed to sort of whatever type of thing it was going to be, either a very serious gritty thing, would just sort of get rid of the whole fantasy elements and just deliver a kind of gritty idea of a plot. I think it probably would work quite well. If they'd be permitted to the fantasy stuff, I also think it would have worked well. But you end up getting just a, a very predictable, lazy plot in the end, which doesn't really work because the baddies have got all these racial baggage with them. That's a really weird thing to do and sounds very tasteless and inappropriate. Yeah, and yet at the same time, I don't think it's meant in a m- malicious way. So it, it, it kind of, I felt a weird tension watching it in the sense that I kind of went along with the idea of the film, but I thought this is this is clearly a bad idea, yeah. like, you, like you've already uh, identified. Anyway, they come across a magic wand, quite literally, well, and it's this glowing tree, yeah. rod which can like, if you touch it and you're not a bright then you won't you'll explode you can't only a bright can hold a magic wand and uh, basically uh, it's very unlikely that anyone but an elf would be a bright right dot 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 <laughs> okay um yeah i feel i feel like joel edgerton and will smith are working hard but i think david ayer just is not a good choice he takes way too much of his own style and tries to kind of force it into his own movie like he's already done this movie he's done end of watch so why is he trying to do it on this film it just doesn't work. It doesn't mesh. It's so formulaic by the end. And some of the ideas are just lazy. They haven't really tried that hard to integrate it into the world to make it believable. So at one point, the MFBI come along. Do you right. know what that stands for? Oh. I'm federal, gonna, is it federal, federal Bureau of Investigations or is it like the Fairy Bureau or something like that? It's Magic FBI. No. That is literally... What, oh, we're from the at Magic FBI. Well, that sounds like a, that sounds like it's trying to be meta. Like no, like it's just, it's just on the nose lame. Uh, and they go to one point, they go to Elf Town, and it's basically downtown New York, but with like gold railings. <laughs> it's what? really weird. And they don't, they literally <laughs> just drive through and they're like, oh, we're not welcome here. And then they just leave. And that, they, they, it never comes up again. It's That's just there, or sort of a weird, like, sort of set decoration. Instead, it spends all its time in this really gritty, nasty place. And it just, it, they're all trying to get the magic wand, and it becomes this mess, and then it becomes predictable. And, oh. Do you, know, do you not think this is, it sounds like it's got Netflix written all over it? Because what is the deal? Why are Netflix constantly doing this? It's like they don't have proper editors or like proper producers it sounds like producers maybe is the major issue like to say that's actually a bad idea how I, you don't do that i feel like what they they must be doing is looking at the stats and looking at when it becomes down to a free movie that you can click on and watch it's the sort of movie which i think perks your interest enough that you'll click it but not go to the cinema and watch it right yeah and so I, in some ways i feel like this is kind of the quintessential Netflix movie. It's got some big names, but maybe not so hot. It's kind of like people who go to Manchester United at the moment. And uh, Zing. Um, It's got a high concept that people can kind of easily get their head around. 
but the quality is very forgettable. You just kind of put it on, you watch it, and then you forget about it. Mm. I, I wonder if there'll be people who thought, oh, that's not too bad, actually. I just think what's frustrating for me is I could easily see it being done so much better well, with it, different choices. Like I said, watching the trailer, they're definitely straying more on the fantasy side than the gritty side in the trailer. And I kind of thought, oh, there's, there's fodder there for jokes and stuff. I just assumed it was fairy tale people are real rather than having the racial baggage that you're talking about. No, it becomes a weird sort of metaphor oh, and allegory, problem. which is just a poorly thought through. So I'm going to give it a, a C plus, I think. Okay. Um, I think Joel Edgerton deserves better, basically. I like um, Joel Edgerton a lot, actually. Yeah, he's a, he's an interesting actor. I think he he I yeah, I feel for the guy basically. The Will Smith. He's getting. No, really he's bad at I've it. seen his I've seen every single trick in his arsenal. Yeah. He really needs to like I think genuinely he needs to try and um go to acting school or or just commit and do a Tom Cruise, like deliver every single time as Tom Cruise does. That's kind of where I feel like he's ended up now and he hasn't quite worked out that he just needs to deliver the same thing consistently and that'll be fine. But instead, he's trying to take on all these different types of movie roles that he's not really equipped for, I don't think. Mm. I think people have figured him out and, I, I, yeah, I'm disappointed. There you go. It doesn't sound like one I'll check out then, sadly. Thanks for the heads up, man. Uh, send your thoughts in. Superbellybros at gmail.com, at Superbellybros on Twitter. And now I shall briefly do Annihilation. Can you describe its form? No. Start from the beginning. What do you think I do when you're away? You think I'm out in the garden, pining, looking up at the sky? (laughs) Why aren't you here? I gotta leave a day early. Your husband's here. extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. It's beautiful. Check this out. It's like they're stuck in a continuous mutation. Anything interesting in there? No. Sharks have teeth like that. It's not possible. You can't crossbreed different species. What is it? The soldiers on the last expedition. They went crazy. Or something in here killed them. Something's come through the fence. Through the fence? We have to go back. I can't go back. We can camp here tonight. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. Yeah, 
yep, yep, yep. Okay, so Alex Garland, who's the ex Machina man, you big fan that of that film, film yeah. yeah, has directed uh, and adapted a Jeff Van der Meer novel, part of the Southern Reach trilogy. Have you come across this? Nope. Uh, I, so Annihilation is the first, and then there are two more books, and they've been quite widely praised in the sci-fi world for being intriguing and different and mysterious. And obviously Alex Garland's Ex Machina Man, again, I'm going to say it, feels this is the right sort of thing for him to take on. So this film has been in, sort of bandied around for various reasons and not entirely to do with the content. So number one is that with Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac in particular in the cast, and then Jennifer Jason Lee, who let's not forget was Oscar nominated for being in The Hateful Eight, mm. if you remember that. Yep. Big actors, big director, you know, Ex Machina got a lot of attention. And he won an Oscar for Best Visual Effects and things. Right, there you go. And he has said, you know, I wanted this film to go on the cinema. That's what we made it for. And it didn't. Like, it had a very short run in the US, I think, and then was just bought by Netflix for all other territories. And people are disappointed about that. A lot of people are praising it for the beauty. They think it should have had a cinematic release. And uh, I disagree. I think it's not very good. Basically. Really? Yeah, I don't get it. And I'm going to say that straight up because I think it's one of these things where, I don't know, my brainwaves must be different. <laughs> like, And there are a lot of people, I'm sure, who have the same brainwaves as me, not special brainwaves, trust me on that one. But I just think it's one of these films where either... You watch it and it's like it's all falling into place. Or you're watching like, what, 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 what? Did you get it? <laughs> I did my hand just like that as well. Like, oh, man. Just... What's funny is that this isn't the first review of quite recently that I've heard of Annihilation. I was, I was chatting to my future best man, Jacob, oh, my yes. old housemate. And he said, oh, I watched that film Annihilation. And I, was, he, I sort of said, oh, how was it? And he was like, um... Well, like, it's just so slow at the beginning and it's just super slow. You sort of say, okay, what's going to happen next? Okay, okay, okay. And then, like, he just said in the last, like, 10, 15 minutes, suddenly loads of stuff happens. He's like, what? And I don't <laughs> understand. And then he said, the funny thing was, he then said, oh, I then went onto YouTube because I was like, this does not make sense. I ended up watching, like, an, like two half-an-hour episodes explaining, like, the ending yeah. of Annihilation. And, like, after I've watched all of those, it was like... Okay, I kind of get it now. And but, he said, like, if you have to watch two, like, half an hour videos on YouTube explaining your film, how good it can it be? But that's the thing. And, like, the book, I believe, is getting praised because it doesn't do that. Like, it's, they're not, it's not a story that is really, is narrative, really. It's all kind of experiential and, and weird. And it's, like, lost without any resolution. And, like, there's a lighthouse in it. Oh, a tower. Oh, Oh, there's an alien. Oh, do you know? Like, oh, there's a monster that speaks with a human voice. I'd love it if you were the sound like, like soundtrack to the movie. I, these kind of oh. things, they kind of annoy me because it's just like, oh, how about this idea and this idea and this idea and this idea and just throw them all there and never bother connecting the dots. And then you can say, well, it's all for you to do. Hey, you didn't know. You don't know, man. You just thought that would be cool. <laughs> You're lying to me. <laughs> and the thing, it's that the fact that you can leave thinking that. I think is enough. Like you can say, oh, you didn't really understand it. You haven't done the work. Well, give me a reason why I should work, my friend. Isn't that just rule number one of screenwriting? Who cares, man? I don't care. Make me care. Well, I didn't care. Not from minute one. These people don't act like real people. Like it was a really weird decision to start with Natalie Portman being interviewed uh, by a military and science people. Um, but I won't say any more than that, but it's a very odd decision. And it means that you can never engage with her as a real person once and the team of scientists that she goes out with uh all either just cliches they're so like obviously caricatures or 
they're so detached from everything it's impossible to relate to them so that when people start getting picked off and people start dying the deal is you go into this place that's emerging and people don't come back so they need to investigate it and there's some kind of odd magnetic field that's spreading like stargate that kind of thing it's not even that original idea really is it and essentially, <laughs> you say, Jacob at the end said there were 10 minutes that were at the end were really interesting, and loads of stuff happened. I just thought, like, at that point, I, I was just gone. I was like, this is just stupid. It's getting stupider. Every Did you minute. almost find yourself not wanting to engage with it because you felt like it was wasting your time? I th- I, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I thought, this is wasting my time. It's very slow. It's so slow without reason, as far as I can tell. Other, the only reason I can see is take me seriously, please. Please take me seriously. Look how long the shot is, isn't it? I'm really. It, oh, that's really disappointing because I genuinely thought that Alex Garland from Ex Machina. I thought that was a wonderfully uh, paced film that really. Why are you pointing at yourself? Because I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that I, you can disagree with me and say that it's not a good film. But I think Ex Machina was really good. It really surprised me, and maybe it, because it is so focused yeah. on what it's talking about. Well, you're right because I've always I've always wondered, like with robots inevitably developing like humans, should we? kill them before they kill us or should we sleep with them because that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not <laughs> that's not that's such a reductive way of looking at that film and you know you're winding me up now and that film is <laughs> not about it. that it's about whether or not there's a whole psychological element and i know because it's a really difficult question should we sleep no with no them, no or will no, they kill us no it's not because it's not really about the robots it's about oscar isaac's character yeah i know what's right. the deal with him is he is he somebody who's duplicitous is he somebody nasty or is he somebody who actually is genuinely pursuing something is he like what do you make of him oh no you're what do you make right. of uh, what yeah, he thinks of the her you're so annoying you're drowning making me cross now it's because you know that there's ah! a part of me that's right about it there is anyway, a part of me which is right and i wish you revealed it because I think I really mean what I said right at the beginning of this. And obviously, listeners, please be aware that sections of this podcast are produced for comedic effect, uh, sort of. Uh, I know that there's a switch in my brain that is just not on when it comes to film like this. Just remember, I didn't like Children of Men. Nothing about Children of Men connected with me. There are films that just I just don't get and they irritate me. Because they're trying too hard to be serious. Well, I can't claim that's what they're doing. I just think you haven't won me over and you don't actually care whether you do. You're expecting me to care enough about your film you really think it's an element of it. Emperor's New Clothes or something? Not even that. I just think it's not very good filmmaking. It's lazy. It doesn't care enough about its audience to, to get them, to really hook them in so you want to know. The film didn't do that for me. But tell me I'm wrong, as undoubtedly many people will. Superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. Gets a C- minus from me. I think it's uniquely unenjoyable. And in fact, to the point where... Uniquely normally, unenjoyable. Normally, That's a great time. <laughs> <laughs> normally, uh, a thing that I would not enjoy in a film was kind of my highlight, because there's a bit where there's this weird mutated bear and you'll hear a lot about it from people that's kind of freaky to look at. And it's, it's kind of violent and really shockingly, surprisingly violent. But because the rest of the film is so dead, it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, we did better. Like, yeah, but yeah, anyway, look, well, let's move on. David. Thanks, man, for supporting us on Patreon. There you are, David. I hope you're satisfied. <laughs> uh, right, email time. Uh, do you have a song, Crystal? That's the Florence Foster. <laughs> Let me what? say that again. That's the Florence Foster Jenkins version. Very good. Nice movie reference, like that film. Have did I get the yet? wobble in? You did quite well. Not. You didn't How would she it. have done it? Do you think Florence Foster Jenkins? You were like that so she kind of was a bit more pitchy. there you go two for one thanks very much right I tricked hey. you I tricked you into doing it 
Listeners, thank you for being in touch. Hey, let's start with uh, one from the Pixel Bro who's got in touch about some rewards. So just hear me again. Um, I'm going to go through the Pixel Bro's email here so you get a kind of flavour. Actually, no, I can't really do that. I won't give away his noms. Uh, instead, Pixel Bro, thank you for sending those noms, in. Noms, noms, noms. Yeah, exactly. The noms will go into our little machine thing over there that will count them all up. Um, but suffice it to say, he's done a brilliant job. Thank you. Uh, and he's also given us a Picture Perfect, Phil. Do you remember those? I do remember Picture Perfect. They are, these are the things which in a movie or it's just one scene or moment in a film which you genuinely think is the best ever. It's, it's sort of top, top grade, best quality, seal of approval, gold standard in a movie. We've done stuff like the, the step scene in um, Lord of the Rings. Yes. You've done Lost in Translation like a number of times. <laughs> I've only done once, man. Yeah. That kind of thing. You and did in Shrek, the Runaway from the Dragon. That's right, that was the first one, wasn't it? It's how it resonates with you and we love the passion. So this is the picture, the Pixel Bros, picture perfect. The final moments of the assault on the second Death Star uh, that is in part of Return of the Jedi. Watched this with my son recently and was reminded of the merits of this widely regarded poor relation in the original trilogy. The speed of the flight into the bowels of this super machine after they've waited agonizingly long to attack the moment the Millennium Falcon has something bashed off that's the satellite dish isn't oh it? it's great yeah good old Billy D that was too close yeah <laughs> so uh, cool. the, the random emoting from his alien psychic <laughs> brilliant <laughs> Uh, Dennis Lawson, a.k.a. Mr. John Dice from Bleak House. Mind blown. What? Only yours, mate. Um, <laughs> no, That's not Wedge Antilles, is it? I don't know. Den- is that right? It might be. Really? I'm going to look that up. Sorry, that was not a slight <laughs> towards you there, Pixel Bro. I just haven't seen Bleak House, I'm afraid to say. So my mind isn't blown, but perhaps it shall be. Uh, in his original and best role as, oh yes, Captain Wedge Antilles. There you go. Whizzing through suddenly open space. I'm already on my way out. I love Wedge, man. That He's is such a good little moment when they're going through this such a tight little cramped corridor, all of these pipes and things like that. And then it just, it goes through a weird sort of um, almost like cardboard edges. That's right. And then it just suddenly goes. That shot is it's And genuinely it opens beautiful. up to this yeah. giant sort of like weird orby cannon thing. It's amazing. It's a yeah. really clever it's idea. It's a very good line as well from Wedge because it implies a, a certain level of confidence and competence in like a deadly situation. Anyway, like we can, we can do our it's own It's really job. good. <laughs> We've got to keep with the pixel rows. Uh, the scale of what they're destroying, the sound design, the way the explosion suddenly cuts out as they re-enter the superstructure, the peril at having to fly straight back out again, the way the music swells and Billy D, D helps us all feel the relief. Oh, and by the way... Darth Vader turned out to be good after all and Han and Leia are going to get married and everything is going to be great smiley face <laughs> I love the, uh, the the whoop can you play the whoop from Lando uh, which one does it uh, hold, hold on as he's coming you? out I can't think it I, normally I can remember all these Yee-hoo! noises oh you're right yeah okay I'll play it I'll play it I regard the following episodes as elevated fan fiction, really. I guess that means episode seven uh, onwards. Despite anything I may have written earlier, well, we, we still like them, but I agree with you there, Pixel Bro. A good example of Phil's pet hate, undoing all the victories of the previous films in order to make more money. Mm, putting capitals there. Peeling back the scab. Uh, love from the Pixel Bro. Hey, thanks very much. That's great. We love Picture Perfect, so please do keep them coming. That's in. a really good one because it's the sort of thing which you kind of forget because it's so familiar yeah. how good it is. But all of that battle in space, is it's so great, man. man it was it was era defining for me. I remember I remember fast forwarding to that over and over again. I thought it was amazing, and uh, yeah, well, and then growing it. up, <laughs> growing up, and actually getting to play it on the GameCube oh, on Rogue Squadron, Rogue oh, Leader, my friend, so what good co op missions. Oh. <laughs> 
You could play as Wes, <laughs> Wes, Wes I'm on my way and also the Millennium Falcon, and then somebody get lumped with a giant Millennium hey, Falcon, and, and you crash on it. They so have Lando times. saying his lines over and over again with a really bad actor impression. <laughs> we gotta buy more time. Anyway, let's not do that here. Okay, Dan got in touch. Hey, Dan. Hello, guys. Just to say thanks for reading out uh, my email about Star Wars. Wow, a long time ago. I-, I never thought it would air. Just venting my frustration to ears that will listen. Hey, we've got open ears and willing what hearts, mouths. Something like that. So, uh, yeah. uh, just heard the interview with John Spira and just wanted to say how interesting it was and that he did a really good job at explaining why the films have taken the turn the way they have with Disney at the helm. Very insightful. He really said some interesting things that ran so true to me, not just about Star Wars, but Marvel and other franchises. Hey, I'm so glad. He's a, re- he's a really passionate guy. I really loved chatting with John. And we, he said so much more than I was able to put into the episode. So I'm glad you liked it. You know, hit him up on Twitter. I'm sure he'd love to hear that. And uh, I think he's got a Kickstarter thing going on at the moment as well. So always worth a look Did at. Did you tell me he's doing another film now? Well, he in that interview, he talked about uh, the sequel to L Street 1976, which is about stunt people and the uh, lives they lead and you know well into their 50s still doing stunts but anyway probably better off asking john chat chat to him on twitter uh dan carries on with regards to rogue one i for one being a big star wars fan completely fall into the category that this was a bad film but i liked it because it gave me what i wanted as a fan so i can rest easy anyway just wanted to say all good stuff and would recommend folks to listen to that interview thanks uh we'll stop writing in about star wars now and let it be it'll never happen there's so much to say disney are too good at their and job and so it's like two weeks away i know like man i know uh also have you watched where the wilder people live oh hunt for the wilder Pil- uh, people you mean <laughs> wilder pimple well i can't never pronounce that one it's on my list of uh, films to watch i've only caught snatches of uh, it, like on both amazon prime and netflix i've got them both queued up ready to go i had a sort and, of take uh, marathon planned i don't know whether you did as well yeah after thor ragnarok because i really love thor ragnarok but i I, for whatever reason i just don't feel like i'm in the mood to watch that film i know what you mean i've seen what we do in the shadows but i'll uh, i'll I'll hit it up and we shall let you know keep up the good work love the show oh thanks that's a steve wright right there love the show (laughs) and all that jazz dan you're very welcome thanks for emailing and listening uh, okay. Now, sorry to cut. I think those are the last emails we'll do here because Phil has just told me he wants to email the show. Yes, in. I want to email the show. Because <laughs> you've got a current thought on Love, Simon, because I reviewed it, obviously, recently. Yeah, and I feel like I can't talk about it in the main part of the show because you've already reviewed it. But I have seen it and I've got my own thoughts. And also I've got stuff on Denial as well, which is a film you reviewed with Timothy Spall and I finally got around to watching it myself. Well, let me just say so thank you, listeners, for those who've been in touch. Thanks very much uh, to you guys. Keep uh, everything coming to superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter. Okay, Phil, hit me. Do it. Do it like an email. Do it like an email. Uh, dear Laurie and Phil, you guys are great. <laughs> oh, Laurie, nice. you talk too much. Well, oh, oh man, I'm ridiculous. Ridic- <laughs> it's not really, no, I can tell. Uh, no, I'll just do it in my normal voice. I liked Love, Simon a lot. I thought it was really good. Um, I think Nick Robinson uh, was really, really charming, and uh, there was a real nice atmosphere to the whole movie. And I think a lot of it comes down to the writing and how they pitched it. It's not necessarily the direction or the performances. I think just literally the way that they kind of place him within the school context is really, really clever and wise because it means that in some ways the whole idea of the film about coming out and all that sort of stuff, him having a very sort of safe space to be in makes more sense of the struggle of coming out because it's not that he's afraid of coming out it's that he likes the way his life is and he knows that doing so will change his life and i think that that makes it and therefore um, he wants control over it yeah exactly exactly. and it makes more it makes something which is maybe an older issue now it's not so much a prevalence in the current thinking um it's not such a big deal 
but it is still a personal big deal. And I think it by well, making and it, it is a big deal for some people because yeah, yeah. But as in, it's much more in 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 current climate, it's much more of a big deal, sort of as as an individual. Fine, that's okay. what I mean. And I think they do really well in conveying that. I was slightly gutted by the ending, though. I will say, okay. I thought the ending slightly undercuts what I think the film could have been about, and it could have been much more interesting. I thought, and yet at the same time, I'm aware that they want it to be very much a kind of regular film in in quotes and not be a kind of sensationalist about the issue that well, it's dealing with. Well, that's the thing. Everyone gets used to the feeling that when this is a central issue, that something's going to go really badly wrong. And actually, why does it have to be that way? Like, I, I, I disagree with you because but I then I, actually it's, sort of, it's subverting your expectations and without you even realising it. I know, it. and I think that's the thing which I, I sort of... I kind of see it from both sides because I think... In some ways, it's completely. If in the wider context, it makes sense why they didn't go with. Well, they went with the ending that they went with. But I wish it'd been slightly different because I think it would be much more interesting in 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 a filmic way and more sort of un, surprising and unexpected. And so it was. It, that was the ending was interesting because it, like you were saying, it plays with our expectations and subverts them or highlights the the fact that you aren't necessarily you're not used to seeing this on film yeah the sure. ending that it is so laurie well done plus one to you thank ellie you. also says plus one to you oh, because that was our date night movie did you make you want to be young again because that like that was the big thing it made me think i was like man it looks like life is so f- like full of opportunities <laughs> um i think it made me uh it made me wish i had like a second go of my Fine, teenage right, years okay, there you go. but it doesn't make me want to be a teenager again if All that right. makes sense i wish i could do it knowing what i know now sure that's more what i thought and i thought yeah yeah i'll leave it there without going too much into the psychologist denial denial again plus one to you laura i thought it was really good and i think the film is very good at explaining the why rather than just being about the court case this is the listeners if you can't remember this is timothy spall who plays david irving a holocaust denier who accuses another historian of libel and so they have to go to court to settle this case and in doing so there's potentially a trial of a Holocaust denier and whether or not he can be proven to be a Holocaust so they, denier. So what they say in it, I think what the person who he's against, she says, this is, we can't let this happen because you'll allow him to put the Holocaust on trial, which is exactly the kind of thing this guy wants, which you know makes it it's very tense, isn't it? Yeah. And what I thought was really brilliant about the film is it doesn't focus so much on the details of the Holocaust, it instead focuses a lot more on the court case, which in a sense mirrors the actual court case itself because the, the lawyers decided not to go on the strategy of bringing survivors in to talk about their experiences. Instead, they dealt with it in a very legal way. And one of the main reasons that keeps on coming up from the lawyers is that they don't want to have to, they don't want to allow Holocaust survivors to have to defend their experience. Right, they, want, yeah. they, they think that's distasteful and obscene. And so they're not going to allow somebody to attack the experiences and say this didn't really happen and i think that was just a really interesting way of looking at it. and i i found the legal aspect of the film really really fascinating and it, what, what was unusual about the film is it puts the legalities of something against the emotions of something and it comes out in favor of the legalities of it or in terms of that's how you cut. it's not an obvious dichotomy in a way you would imagine and that is how you in some way sometimes it's better to pursue the legal side for for other reasons and i don't think that's something which you normally get said normally in court cases it's the emotional plea at the end of the movie that wins it out sure. in the day yeah it's not very filmic and yet they made it much more interesting because they kind of stuck to their guns and showed the legal thought process and they managed to get you kind of to understand that and yet they're still, still at the same time make 
David Irving into a villain, a kind of a, a secretive yeah. and unnerving villain. Tim Spool plays him well, doesn't he? So yeah, Laurie, again, plus one to you. I, I can't honestly film. remember what I said too much about it, but I'll take the plus one, no questions asked. <laughs> Thanks very much, uh, everyone, for being in touch, including you there, Phil. Uh, <laughs> get it all sent to superbabybrosedemon.com. Well, I mean, you're a big broadcast star now, so on Twitter. I might not be able to get through to you anymore. Yeah, I have to buy- You're going to be there, man. <laughs> you're going to be there. Just wind you up. Thanks so much, everyone. That is the end of Season 3, Episode 11. 11. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed chatting about the Avengers. Yeah, I'm excited to hear. Oh, gosh, are we going to do our spoiler chat? I, I know, man. This is what I told you. <laughs> I suddenly just remembered it. Um, maybe we'll do that. We'll see how it goes. But, um, yeah, it was fun. I think it's an interesting movie. I'd be interested to hear what people made of it, whether or not they enjoyed it or whether or not they found it. Um as eventful as I found it, I think that yeah. was it was a, it was a proper event. Yeah, I'm being intrigued to see what the fallout is. Can't, you know, unusually, I'm intrigued by the box office as well. I think it will outperform the other two. I slightly worry that it won't make as much money as they anticipate. Okay, well, we'll wait and see. Uh, get in touch and everything else as well. Hope my review roundup wasn't too hard to listen to. Rattling through all those movies. Laurie's uh, roundup. <laughs> yeah. Da, 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 and da. Uh, get in touch with the Netflix films we did. Are you annoyed by adverts in cinemas and uh, the way that trailers seem to be highlighting the? World? worst parts of modern blockbusters all that kind of stuff uh, send all your thoughts as ever into superbellybros at gmail.com and at superbellybros on twitter but other than that I guess we'll see you either in two weeks time or sooner who knows pow 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 bye bye you're holding your hand up to say something you no I'm a... firing my goodbye guns Mate, amazing stuff <laughs> right bye listeners have a great week bye uh, Laura I've got a bonus but I'm not sure how good it is what's yours <laughs> the thing is, mine really needs to go second because I'll go so, s- it's so dumb. Do you want me to tell you what it is? No, no, no. no. Really? I'll, I'll go first, and if mine's rubbish, just cut it out. Yeah? All right. Yeah, well, deal, deal, deal. I'm sure it won't be rubbish. Uh, so I had a bit of a sitcom moment, and I don't know if you've ever found this. I felt like I was George Costanza in Seinfeld. Okay. Um, I was at a petrol station, and I was in, it was one of those sort of little mini supermarket ones. And uh, I was queuing up. I bought like a little pastry thing, and it, there was a kind of coffee shop within the shop, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, no, it does. And I was queuing up. I was in, in line. There was like two customers in front of me waiting for this till. And uh, just as it got to the, they served the next one in line. And then I was going to be the one after that person. Yeah, yeah. The lady was like, uh, you need to, you need to queue over there. And I looked over and it was like one of those bendy, windy things. And I was like, I've been waiting here for ages. And so she was like, that's where you got to queue. So, was there anyone else there? So, so I walk over, walk through the windy thing. And then it was like, till number five. And I just walked back over to this lady. So it was like, it was like literally she sent me on a circuit around the shop. That's weird. And I was a bit like, what? Like, what's happened? Like someone in a bad mood, surely. Well, I don't know. I I kind of, I was like, is this my fault? Am I just in a bad mood? Have I stood up? I, I mean, I did do it, but it was a bit like... I just I I was kind of confused and like slightly cross and so I paid for my thing and I was like good day did <laughs> you say good day I said it in a, a way that I felt was sassy but at the same time could be interpreted as me just being polite I wanted oh. it to be secretly sassy that was my aim I didn't actually want to upset her but at the same time I was too petty these things man they're real flashpoints it's very hard to keep a cool head it's very hard to keep a cool I've had some some bad run-ins recently. I've got two that are more lighthearted, so I'll do those for you quickly. Like the Oxford Tube, the bus I get home regularly mm. if I've had to go to London. Twice now I've had problems getting onto it. Uh, or not problems, but more just sort of disagreements with people. So one of them was that uh, it wasn't the Oxford Tube, actually. It was another bus. And 
everyone got onto it and I realised sat in the bus stop because it wasn't my bus that someone had left an umbrella on the seat and I thought I had that moment where I thought I could just leave it there and then I thought well come on life is my umbrella I would love it if someone had handed it in mm. so I went up to the bus driver and said to him oh sorry mate, I'm not getting on but someone's left their umbrella back here I don't know whether you can just let you know let the bus know and he's like no nothing I can do I'm like, well, could you just tell them that they've left their umbrellas? Like, no, nothing I can do. And he started to close the door on me like I was on the I bus, threatening him or something. It was really weird. It was like the most anti- unnecessarily <laughs> antisocial thing. Like, if someone's left their umbrella here. You've got an intercom that you only ever do to say, hold on. <laughs> Like, tell them there's an um, someone's left their umbrella, man. But then it would just sound like. (laughs) 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 But he could have done that and he didn't do it. And so I was a bit mystified. I was like, okay. And I don't know whether I did the right thing. Maybe I should have pressed the issue and just thrown it out. <laughs> no, that would. <laughs> and then it pops up in his face. <laughs> that would have been a, a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, the second one happened to me just yesterday, and I'm a little more culpable here because uh, I was getting on the thing and I, I was chatting to a friend of mine for quite a long time, and it meant I wasn't able to eat the uh, McDonald's that I had procured for myself because it was a late finish uh-huh. uh, in time for the bus arriving. So when as I saw it coming around the corner, I quickly opened my bag to shove the McDonald's in it because sometimes they're a bit funny. About oh, they are a bit things. funny about hot food, aren't they? Yeah, and check it out. When I, and I was like, said goodbye to my friend, gave him a big you know shake of the hand. I was like, oh, it's great to catch up, all this sort of stuff. And, and then I got I got, walked up onto the bus with like a big fresh face. I was feeling quite good. <laughs> and the guy's like, I just saw you put food into your bag. And I was like, yeah, I put it in my bag. And he was like, well, I can't let you on this bus uh, with food in your bag. I'm like, what do you mean? It's in my bag, man. And he's like, well, what if it smells? I'm like, can you smell it? <laughs> and uh, it wasn't going <laughs> you well. You rocked him. Can well, you said, smell? Can you, can you smell it? Like, yeah, it's, it's in my, that's why it's in my bag, man. <laughs> like, and the thing was, at that point, I realized he'd busted me because, of course, my plan was to <laughs> shake it out. He knows chips. It's not his first McDonald's radio. No, he knew it. And the thing is, I was, I was so busted, but I was also a bit annoyed. So, like, and I kind of, so I kind of weaseled out of it in the end in a pathetic way because after trying to say, what's in my bag? That's why I put it in my bag. He knew the game. And he was like, well, next bus is in 10 minutes. You could just sit there and eat it. And I was like, well, fine, fine. I'm definitely not trying to annoy you, mate. Promise you, I'm not trying to annoy you. And then backed out like an idiot. So I think I, I could have, whatever cred I had for trying to rescue that umbrella, I lost immediately in uh, McDonald's gate. <laughs> McDonald's gate. Yeah. It is a tricky one when you're, you're trying to play by the rules, but you know you're not really trying to play by the rules. And uh, you, just, you feel like you're just doing what everyone else is doing. It's just these it's, little obstacle courses that life throws The thing is, you. that is a weird thing for him to ask. Like, does it smell? Like, what if it smells? Yeah. Like, Can you smell it? <laughs> no, but also, <laughs> if it smells, so what? Like, it's food, man. Yeah, food smells. Like, I think people, somebody people opens complain. up an orange and it's the well, smelliest did, That's thing. what I did to you. That was my AON. I prepared nothing on the radio show. Like, there was an orange. It really stank in the bus. And I didn't find it pleasant so there you go he's got a point anyway that wasn't the bonus i was going to do and i feel like i maybe don't need to now there you go i'll tell you off air and you can tell me how lame it is okay what's the deal as well with like workers like uh, kitchens and things like that there's always somebody doing like a fish dish what on earth have you never come across this from? Well, it's just another you're bonus talk- no you talk about the, f- the smell stuff like i i feel like you've got you there's this bus driver's got no comment to make about smells because there's always somebody who's doing like a fish dish that's the smelliest thing you've ever smelled <laughs> they are and the it's fish just like, notorious. it's just like <laughs> it smells so bad yeah. you're like why are you i do sometimes feel a bit guilty because that's a I'm classic so, with uh i'm 
over laughing myself Ex- laughing way sandwiches, man. But I'm always like, it smells so bad. Like, how can this be tasty? <laughs> well, that's just silly because it is very tasty. But Maybe like, you just don't like it smell smells so strongly, and they're just like, they love it. But like, oh man, I, I worked in one place every Friday. It's just like <laughs> fish, fish. <laughs> Every Friday. Every Friday, Friday fish day. Fish day. <laughs> just the stickiest stuff ever. I was just like, this one it's, person. That's just something in life that's very funny. <laughs> it's witnessing one someone person. really tucking into food that you can't get your head around. And they love it. They just go back for more. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, God, would you want some more of this? No. <laughs> no, Disgusting. I don't. think. What are you doing? Anyway. Right, we've got to leave it there. Smelly food. <laughs> All right. Nice. <laughs> Listen up. It's a word up. It's like you're alive and kicking. Zig zig. <laughs> Laurie's Roundup. He's reviewing films. He saw. Oh, I can't do the song well enough. It goes on too long. Of course, it's Laurie's Roundup. He's reviewing films. He's seen loads and loads of films, and it's time to review them all. Yes. Laurie's round. Oh no, that's not right. Laurie's and listen to him. <laughs> oh no, obviously right. Here we go again. It's terrible. <laughs> so many bloopers. Oh, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> of course you have. After that amazing I football zigging. <laughs> What's the deal with, uh, like, staff rooms as well, you know? Where's this coming from? Is this just another bonus out of nowhere? 